Well, believe it or not, it's November 29th. And it seems like just yesterday, I remember walking in to this pandemic and thinking, praise God that it's going to be in warm weather so that I can actually get outside during this quarantine. And here, here winter comes just around the corner. Christmas trees are up. Michael Buble is already haunting our dreams. <laughs> and I'm not very excited because I have two driveways to shovel now as opposed to one at my new house. I'm not a huge fan of winter, if you haven't noticed. But in the midst of that, we find ourselves beginning our Advent series called Dwell, where we'll be exploring what it means for God to dwell among us, what it means for God to become man and be with us. And as we start off, I want to remind you of a lesson that our parents and grandparents taught us growing up. We all have the story. You're riding your bike, you hit the curb, you flip over the handlebars and face plant. You're going up the steps on the bus, you trip, you cut your chin open. You're running on the playground, you skin your knee. You're sledding, you go over a ramp, you hit the snow, you knock a tooth out. The ache sets in, the sting cuts into you, and you go up to mom or dad because you're hurt. And what do they reply with? Rub some what on it? Rub some dirt on it. You don't need any bandages. You don't need any first aid. You don't need an emergency room. Just rub some dirt on it. Toughen up. It comes out of this mindset we don't want our kids to be whiners, right? And that has some truth to it. But today I want to talk to you about the fact that Christians are crybabies. In fact, you can't be a Christian without being a crybaby. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's jump to the text that Shad read for us this morning. It's great to have the kids with us this morning, isn't it? It's been a blessing. So we find ourselves in Egypt. The Israelites are in slavery. But what's the background? How did they get there? And it all starts with a guy named Joseph. No, not the Joseph and Mary Joseph. I'm talking about Old Testament, book of Genesis, Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph, right? And so Joseph's dad, his name is Jacob, also known as Israel, the ancestral father of the Israelites, right? And he has a lot of sons. Joseph has many brothers. Joseph happens to be the favorite, and so logically and rationally, his brothers decide that the best way to deal with this is to sell him into slavery and fake his own death. Foreshadowing. But all that to say, speeding the story up, because of his character, because of God's favor on Joseph's life, Joseph rises to second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. And time passes, and God tells Joseph about a famine that's coming. So he tells Joseph to prepare Egypt for it, and the famine hits, and Jacob, Israel, and his family don't have food. But Egypt does. So Jacob sends his sons on a grocery run, Walmart pickup, not shipped or Instacart. I'm not sure why, but Walmart pickup was the way to go. So he sent them to Egypt, and he gets there. Long story short, there's some drama between the brothers, but they kiss, they make up, they figure it out. And Joseph's like, hey, man, 
I've got some pretty sweet connections. Let me hook you up with one of the sweetest cribs in Egypt. All the family can move over here, right? So Jacob's a little hesitant about this because God had promised him the land he was in, not Egypt. But God's like, don't worry about it. One day, I'll bring you out. I'll multiply your family there, and one day, I'll bring them back. It's okay. So they go. They live happily ever after, and time passes, and Jacob passes away, and Joseph passes away, and Pharaoh passes away. And the Egyptians, sorry, the Israelites multiply just as God has promised. But a new Pharaoh comes into play. And he doesn't know who these Israelites are. He doesn't know anything about Joseph. And so he's like, these aren't Egyptians. Why are they on my land? So he makes them slaves. And that's what's unique about this story is that they were just doing what God had asked them to do. And now they find themselves in slavery. And the text says the Israelites groaned under their slavery. Understandably. They had been promised that they were going to be in the promised land, and they weren't there. In fact, they were suffering where they were. And the kids are in here, so this is going to be really fun for a second. But the word groaning also is moaning cattle. So we all know that a cow says moo, but what does a cow in pain say? So kids, I want you to think for a second. What does a cow in pain, say. And adults, you can join in too, but on the count of three, giving you your best cow and pain noise. One, two, three. Oh, wow, that was great. Thank you for the effort. I appreciate it. It's not a very pleasant sound, even if you're not trying very hard, right? <laughs> so they're groaning. They have things to groan about. They're in pain. They're in pain. And we have things to groan about in our life, right? Especially this year, we've had to deal with family members more than we're used to because we've been locked in a house with them. We're not used to the normalities we've been uh, acquainted with, with concerts and grocery stores. And I really miss the movie theater. Does anybody else? I mean, it's open, but not all the same stuff's in there anymore. So anyway, and the news makes our eyes roll every other day. So there's small things like that. But then there are bigger problems, bigger groanings, things that make us go, ugh, things that make us in pain, things that make us cry out like cattle who are hurt. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your drinking problem has intensified. Maybe a spouse or a close family member has died or is dying. Maybe your secret sin has worsened. Maybe you're struggling to adjust to your job in this new climate. Maybe you are under some financial struggle. Maybe depression is worsening and you're not sure if you can go on. Maybe you're just at the end of the rope and you don't know where else to turn. Maybe you've lost purpose in your life. Groaning, frustration, pain, we all have it. What is it for you? The problem is that we have groaning. The problem is that we have pain. But what's the solution? What did the Israelites do? Let's jump back to the text. How do they find help? Their groaning didn't just lead to more groaning. They cried 
out. They groaned, but they cried out to their God to come and save them. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8 is God's response to their crying out. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Now for me, the tension is, it's like, it's great that God is responding, but if God had promised to deliver them, then why should they have to cry out? Shouldn't God just make good on his promise before they got into this situation? And it is frustrating, but then again, I remind myself that God's ways are higher than our ways, and he gets to know the future, and I don't. So God, knowing that he will deliver them and make good on his promise, it seems like he strategically waits for a time when they cry out for help. The cry prompts the help. There's no way around it. The cry prompts the help. And all in all, the help only comes after they move from their groaning to crying out and asking for help. When they realize that they're at the end of their rope and they can't get themselves out of the situation, they need some supernatural power to do that for them. But why does God do it this way? It's because God respects us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm doing a new recipe or I'm doing a new project or things like I don't really like people hovering over me or I'm driving and just telling me what to do. If I didn't ask for your help, why are you telling me what to do? It's a little struggle with pride. Does anybody else struggle with that? Right? If I didn't ask for your help, don't give it to me. The good news is that God isn't like that. He's not going to give you help that you don't want. God is only going to respond to you if you ask for it. God waits until we ask for help because he respects us. So if you want God's help, you need to admit that you need his help. You need to ask for it. When we give him permission to work, he comes down. If you cry out, he will come down and deliver you. If you want the land that's flowing with milk and honey, you need to ask for God to bring you out of the place you need deliverance from. There's no way around it. The good news is that God knew that problems would go beyond just slavery in Egypt, but slavery to fear, slavery to addiction, slavery to corrupted relationships, slavery to frustration, to pain, to all of these things in this world that make us groan. And so God has heard our groanings, and the good news is that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, because of that. He has come down. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The son of God became a man and dwelt among us. God has heard the groanings, but he needs you to cry out. There's no way around it. A prophet, Isaiah, predicting what Jesus would be like, called him mighty God, a God mighty enough to heal all your pain, a God mighty enough to heal all your groanings. 
You just need to cry out to him. A mighty cry to a mighty God. That's the solution. A mighty cry to a mighty God. And I'm not talking about just your run-of-the-mill asking for help. You need to admit that there is no other way out of this than God's supernatural, miracle-working power. God, I am at the end of my rope. Without you, I need you to work in this, or I am hopeless. That is the kind of cry I'm talking about, a mighty cry to a mighty God. So yes, Christians are supposed to be crybabies, but not because we're not tough, but because we know that God is the only one who can truly fix our problems. Amen? He's our only one that can deliver us from our groaning. So how does it all apply? How does it all apply? Really simple. I bet you could guess it. You need to cry out. You have to cry out. And as I invite the worship team up, I know it was a short sermon, but get to the point. You need to cry out. There's two different cries that you might be prompted to do this morning. The first of which is the first cry. Maybe you're sitting in here and you've never started a relationship with the Lord. But something is stirring within you and saying, I want to know that God. I want to know that God who can fix the groanings in my life. The good news is that Romans chapter 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if that's you, don't let the moment pass. I want to encourage you this morning as the worship team leads us in a song to text FOLLOW to 765-222-5937. Just in recognition of your commitment to begin a relationship with the Lord. Once that happens, one of our pastors will get in touch with you and make sure that you're starting off your relationship with Jesus on the right foot. But then there's also the general cry. So maybe you are a Christian, right? But you just have a problem in your life, some groaning in your life that you need God's supernatural, miracle-working power to come and deliver you from. We all have problems. And if that's you during this song, Lord, I need you, come forward and bring a mighty cry to a mighty God. Now, Let's pray, and the altar is open as you feel led. Our mighty God, today we bring to you our many groanings, for you are one true help. Send your Holy Spirit this morning so that we might experience your love and compassion for us in the midst of our pain. Guide us as we bring a mighty cry to you, our King of kings. Deliver us our one true and mighty God. Amen.